God. Praise the Lord. We're going to pick back up. It's been a while, but we're going to pick back up on our series called How God Changes His Children. And we've been looking at the things that God uses in life to change us into the image of Christ. We know the Word of God. We know the Holy Spirit uh, is at work in us. But we also, God uses other things to shape us. And, And we've been talking about troubles and trials. Answered and unanswered prayer, remembering things and forgetting things. We got to remember some things and forget other things if you're going to grow. You got to learn to put on things. You got to learn to take off things. Today I want to talk about success and failure in our scriptures in Psalm 103, 8 through 14. Here's what it says. I'll just read it up here. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. I've never really been a good loser. I don't like the, the phrase, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. I've always felt if you play the game right, you'll win. Uh, <laughs> but I have failed many times in life. Went up to Tallahassee, I felt called to the ministry, went up to Tallahassee in 91, and the headquarters down there, I said, if you ever get a church open, you know, I'm ready to go. And they said, we got one in Tallahassee. I said, okay, I accept it. I might have jumped the gun a little bit on that. Uh, I didn't realize at the time they'd had either six pastors in seven years or five in six years. I didn't know something was going on <laughs> that I wasn't prepared for. I knew this, the mortgage was $1,651 a month. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot of money of our church, but when you got a church of about 30 and three-fourths of them are senior citizens, that's a good thing to look at every month. And uh, when you're only youth in the church is your children, and one woman had two little girls, that was the youth group, uh, it was a struggle. Uh, you got all these ideas and you get out of college, you're going to go to church and it's going to be a mega church in a couple months and, and all this kind of stuff. No. Uh, and they told us in school, don't make changes quickly in a church because people don't change quickly. Take it, take it slow that first year. Well, I didn't listen to that. I knew that, but I didn't listen. And I, we had a uh, lady that was our, the main teacher, the, the adults, and uh, she was not a teacher. And I listened to her for about two or three months. And then I said, Sister, and she was a good lady, godly lady. I said, Sister, we're going to take a little change in this. I'm going to give you another job. <laughs> and she said, Okay, Brother West, whatever you think. Well, she never came back or her husband. <laughs> I said, Okay. It was so good to see somebody else come to church from time to time and there was a on a Wednesday night we had a blonde headed lady come in there she's about 40 45 I'd guess and I was so glad man we got a new face among our 15 or 
20 that were there on Wednesday night. And uh, we were teaching, and I don't know how we got on the subject. One of the old men in the church made the statement. We talked about psychologists. And he said, I'll tell you about psychologists. I think they're all a bunch of quacks. I wouldn't give you two cents for any of them. I said, well, I kind of brushed it off. Anyway, she raised her hand, and I said, oh, she's going get, to get involved. Yes, ma'am, glad to have you here. What would you like to say? She said, I'd like to say my husband's a psychologist. I said, help me, Jesus. Please help me, Jesus. Every time we get somebody, it'd be something like that. <clears throat> Had, our music was not good. I know good music. I don't know a lot of things, but I know what good music is. And ours was not. But the lady that played was the godly, sweetest woman in the world. Uh, just, she just couldn't play. Uh, but, but sweet lady. And uh, I'll put it this way. If I was looking for a church, I would not go there. I only went there because I had to preach there. Uh, but I wouldn't even go to hear me. Uh, but anyway, Brother Al showed up one in 96 of summer 96, and said, I want you to come back home. I said, I'm ready. I don't think God called me to this. He said, well, come on back, and you can uh, teach and do different things. I said, okay. Anyway, a few years after I come back, this was in 97, uh, Brother Al started having some health issues, and wanted me to take over. I said, no, I don't think so. I don't believe God called me to this. I missed it. And he said, no, I want you to do that. I said, Brother Al, I failed at this. I, I'm not turning my back on Jesus. I want to serve Jesus. I want to sing in the choir. I want to teach Sunday school. I want to do this, but I'm not going to be a preacher. I didn't want to be a preacher, and I told God when he asked me I didn't want to do that. <laughs> And he didn't listen. And uh, anyway, make a long story short, I know what it's like to feel like a total failure. Failure's a part of life. Uh, listen to this. Now, all, there's all different statistics for different businesses, but just a little less than 20% of all businesses fail the first year. They go under. And right at 50% fail within five years. Listen to this right here. 2016, they did a study of boys playing high school football. And they said in America, there were 1,083,308 high school football players. All of them got an idea of going to college. Most of them go to college one day, play and all this. But out of that 1,083,000, only 73,660 went to college to play ball. That was 6.8%. Now, not all those were big colleges. They were little small colleges and so forth, too. So 73,000 out of that 1.1 million almost. And out of those that made it to play college, only 253 made it to the pros. That's a big drop-off from 1 million that may have wanted to go play at a higher level. 92% of people don't even keep their New Year's resolution. They fail doing that, usually within the first month. G. G. Campbell Morgan, one of the great preachers, he was in 1888, he was getting it going into the Westland ministry and he was trying to get his license. He went there with 150 guys. They took a written oral doctrinal exam. He passed that, but they had to get up and preach. And they had to preach in an auditorium that seated about 1,000 and there were three ministers out there grading them. And out of those 150, 
they were going to be graded whether they'd get their license. His parents were waiting for him to wire them back, let him know how it all worked out. They were all anxiously waiting. And 105 of them did not make it out of the 150, and he was one of them that didn't make it. He said that was the hardest thing I ever did was send this text, not text, but whatever they did back in 1888, a wire, he said, sent to my father one word, rejected. Of course, he went on to become one of the greatest preachers, Bible scholars of his day. But I'm telling you, we fail at a lot of things. Some of you in here failed a, a class in school and you felt dumb all your life probably. Some of you may have failed in business and had to climb out of a deep financial hole. Some here say, I failed in marriage and wonder what I could have done to make it work. Some of you may feel like, and I feel sometimes, I failed as a parent. If your kids aren't serving Jesus, where'd we fail? Failure is a part of this walk here. Somebody said we fail more than we succeed sometimes. That's why they put erasers on pencils. We got to scratch it out and do it over. We fail to show love. We fail to speak up. We fail to follow through. We fail to trust God. We fail to obey God. We fail to overcome temptation, and so on and so forth. And that's what I want to talk about. How does God work? Mostly I'm going to talk about not success, but our failures to shape us into the image of his dear son. Okay, let's look at Psalm 103, 8 through 14. First of all, God's patience allows us to fail. Look at verse 8 and 9. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. His patience is an attribute of his mercy. Now, David is the writer of this psalm. David wrote about half the psalm, 70-something of them. He wrote this one. He's mesmerized by how patient God is. Put up with us. It just He can't get over that, how much God patiently puts up with people. I'm going to tell you this. If I was God, I would not put up with terrorists that kill innocent people and hide under hospitals. I wouldn't do it. I would not put up with people that molest and traffic little children. I would not put up with them. They wouldn't be here. I would not put up with dictators that oppress their people. With those that mock his name and blaspheme his name, I would not. Aren't you glad I'm not God? I would not put up with any of that. David sees God. He says, God's not weak. God's not turning a, a deaf ear or a blind eye and getting soft or anything like that. But God is merciful and God is patient with us. Because he's patient, he knows how to put up with people that don't succeed and fail. Now, his patience, God's patience, encourages us to exercise our faith. Peter walked on the water. Peter sank, and Jesus called him. James and John said one day, let's call down fire from heaven on them old boys over there. They're not on with us. Jesus, you don't even know what manner of spirit you are, you sons of thunder. But he didn't kick them out. Thomas. I'm not going to believe unless I see myself and touch him. 
that he's arose. Jesus finally showed him, said, here, stick your hand here and all this. Don't doubt. Blessed are those that don't see me and believe. But he didn't say, Thomas, you're worthless. Get out of here. I ain't got time to put up with you anymore. He didn't curse the disciples because he didn't cast out the demons. He rebuked them a little bit. My daughter, Lauren, when she was learning how to walk, one time, you know how kids can get into things, but she was learning how to walk, and she was trying to go up some stairs. We someplace where some stairs. And everybody said, get her. She'll get up there and fall. And I said, no, I'm going to walk behind her and catch her if she falls. And she was falling and wobbling, and I was there to catch her if she falls. And that's the way God does us a lot of times. I'm going to tell you this. You may not believe this, but I believe it with all my heart. God would rather us fall and fail trying to walk by faith than to succeed by not walking by faith. He would much rather you fail because without faith it's impossible to please Him. He is pleased with everything we do that we try to do in His name. Okay, so God's patience allows us to fail. God's forgiveness helps us recover from our failure. Look at verse 10 and 11. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Okay, God's patience allows us to fail. His forgiveness helps us recover when we fail. That's all part of his plan. Forgiveness is a concept that's missing in our world. We talk about grace, mercy, forgiveness. You're dealing with subjects that are hard to explain or comprehend. But people want forgiveness. People long for forgiveness. Uh, you can't always unscramble the eggs we make, but you can somehow, forgiveness is critical. Sam Moffat was a missionary to China, and he was treated terribly in China, persecuted. He had such a bitterness for the Chinese people. He came away from there. And he didn't want to go back. He didn't want to go back because of the way they treated him. He said, but if I can't forgive them, I don't have anything I can say to them. I don't have a message for them. And he learned how to forgive. New York Times did an article a few years ago about the criminal justice system in Japan versus America. Here's what they said. For every 100,000 people in the United States, 519 are in prison. In Japan, only 37 out of 100,000 are in prison. whole lot less percentage. Now, here's, what he, here's the little thing they did in this article. A man served 15 years for a crime he did in Japan. He never received a single visitor in 15 years. Not a single note, not a single phone call, 15 years. His wife and his son met him on the day he was to be released just to tell him he is not welcome to come home. His three married daughters refused to see him and he never even got a picture of his four grandchildren. It's a nation that prides itself in saving face and not dishonoring the family or whatever. They don't have much place for forgiveness over there when you dishonor. Forgiveness is a concept we all need in our lives. It's one of the most amazing doctrines. The psalmist here is looking at God's forgiveness. He said, I tried to describe how high it is and how wide it is. I can't describe how wide and how high the forgiveness of God is. Here's a saying you've heard before, I've heard it before, and it's really true. 
There's nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. We get it all. God's quick to forgive. Jesus loves to forgive. He said, I'll leave 99 sheep and spend the night looking for one that's wandered off. Jesus is going through the town there and wall-to-wall people. And he just kind of didn't pay any attention to all them, but he saw one old boy up in a tree. He said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm meeting at your house tonight. He needed it more than anybody else. Jesus met a woman at the well. They got struck up a conversation. He asked for a drink of water. And he said, where's something about her husband? She said, I don't have a husband. He said, I know. You've had five. And the man you're shacked up with now is not your husband. He wasn't doing that to put her down. But what he was really saying, woman, I know it. you're thirsty. If you'll drink what I give you, you'll never thirst again. You're really thirsting for love in some way. He longs to forgive us. Here's the third thing. God's understanding allows us to fail because he allows us to be human. He knows what we are. Look at verse 13 and 14. As a father pities, that's a strong word, pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For we know our, he knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. Now, he knows what we are. If you're proud of yourself, you don't have a whole lot to be proud of. God knows just how weak you are and how weak I am. Here's some things God knows about us. He knows our very thoughts. Look at these scriptures right here. Look, I know your thoughts and the schemes with which you would wrong me. God knows what you're thinking. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. If somebody knows what you're thinking, if you know what somebody's thinking, it frees you up to be honest with them. I'll give you an example. If you're a shy boy in high school and you want to ask a girl out for a date and you don't want to take a chance on being rejected, but you'd love to ask her out, and she's got a friend, and you're good friends with her friend, and her friend tells you this. She might not want me to tell you this, but she really likes you. She would love for you to ask her out. Once you know what she's thinking, it frees you up. You can do what you need to do. God knows every thought that we have. You can't pull anything over on it. He knows our thoughts. He knows not only our thoughts, he knows our name. Think about this. Your name is special. It's what we not only identify you as, but what we call you. You might like your name, may hate it. It's what you sign on your documents. One of the most frustrating things in life is to forget people's name. I do that a lot. One of, the, one of the great blessings in life is somebody remembers your name. And you thought, wow, they remembered me. You remember when uh, Saul was going to persecute the church? He's on his way to Damascus. The Lord stopped him, knocked him off his horse with a bright light and all this. And he didn't say, hey, you. He said, Saul. Saul. He knew his name. He knows our name. He knows us intimately. He knows our thoughts. He knows our name. He knows our future. He knows what we're going to do with our life. He knew Judas. There's sitting there at the, the table. He, he told them all, one of y'all is going to betray me. He knew Judas was going to betray him, and Judas knew it. And he knew what Judas would do. He told Peter, boy, you're going to deny me three times before the sun comes up. 
He knew it. He knows our future. He knows our physical features. He says, I know the very hairs on your head. Now, there's not a lot to count on my head, but he's not say, he didn't say that to show you how smart he is. He said that to show you how much he knows about every detail of your life. I know the very hairs on your head. He knows our physical features like that. He knows our emotional side. He knows what your fears are, your insecurities, your hang-ups, your heartaches, what makes you laugh, what makes you cry. He knows you. He knows your spiritual condition. He knows if you're walking close to him or you're not walking close to him. He knows that. He knows the depth of your commitment. He knows how sincere you are, how disciplined you are. He knows your character. We don't have a lot to be proud of because Jesus said, boys, without me, you can do nothing. Ain't nothing y'all can do if I'm not doing it through you. So we don't have a whole lot to be proud of. We fail. And he's patient with us and allows us to fail. He forgives us, helps us recover from our failures. And he understands why we fail because he knows all about us. I know you're going to fail. Okay, so here's the bottom line of this message we're getting to here. What can God teach us through failure? The mess-ups we make in our life, the failures. If God uses even that to shape us into the image of Christ, how do our failures change us, shape us? Here's some things failures can teach us. Number one, failure teaches us you need to ask for help. I've always told this story. There's a father and his 12-year-old boy riding out in the Jeep out in the hunting woods going down an old muddy trail there. And uh, over the night, uh, uh, about an eight-inch around tree had fallen over the road. And uh, his father told his son, son, you think you can move that? He said, hey, I, can, I think I can move it out of the road. Son got out there and pulled on that thing and twisted and couldn't do it. He got back to the Jeep and said, Dad, I'll tell you this, I did the best I could, but I couldn't move it. His dad said, no, you didn't, son. You didn't do the best you could. He said, why do you say that? He said, because you didn't ask me to help you. And that's what God's saying. I'm going to let you fail because you won't let me help you sometimes. You've got to learn that. You've, we've got to be told that and get that in our head. Peter walked on water and he failed. He, he sank. But I'll tell you this. There's only two people in the history of mankind that know what it's like to walk on water. Jesus and Peter. Nobody else. He will let you fail because he's going he's to try to get across to your head and your mind that you need me. You're going to need my word. You're going to need my spirit. You're going to need this. And if you don't lean on me or trust in me or ask me for help, you're going to fail. Number two, or number three, number two, failure might teach us. No, here's the next thing. Failure shows us how quickly we take our eyes off of Jesus. Let me give you an example. I read this the other day. The average person blinks. Aren't you glad we don't know every time we blink? Because the average person blinks between 14,000 and 19,000 times a day. And I did some research on, or not some research, some adding on that. That's about 15 to 20 times a minute. And so when we were driving the other day for about 8 or 10 hours, I, I drove 7 or 8 minutes with my eyes shut. I took my eyes off the road. Think about that. We were in Gainesville the other day. Me and my wife were going to get something, pick up something. And uh, she was driving, and we were stopped at a red light. And I was looking at the red light, and there was a young girl walking across there. 
And so I glanced over at that young girl, and my wife, she'll use this name when she thinks she's caught me in something. She said, Smith, what are you looking at? <laughs> I said, who, me? I said, uh, what do you mean? She said, what are you looking at? You're looking at that girl. I said, well, that girl's got some very tight pants on. I said, that's strictly a fashion statement. There's nothing else for that. Uh, <laughs> but I took my eyes off of her and put it back on the red light, waiting for the light to change. How quickly we can take our eyes off of Jesus if we're not careful. Uh, and that's why he allows us to fail to let us know we've gotten our eyes off of him. Okay, here's the next one. What failure can teach us if we learn from it? Uh, Failure might be teaching you you need to learn some humility. Listen to this right here. Romans 12, 3. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. We all quote the scripture, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. Sometimes we fail in life because we are too proud and need some humility. I inherited a lot of things from my father. One of them is I don't like to read directions. If I got to put something together, I'm just going to try to figure it out. <laughs> That's why a lot of times I have a lot of nails and screws left over at the end of what I'm putting together. I hate to read the directions. My wife, we, I was putting together a chest the other day, and, and she, I said, you want to help me with this? Because it had 100 screws in it and stuff. She said, no, I don't want to do anything. I said, I want her to because she's a lot more particular than I am, and I'll, I'll make it fit. And, uh, and I was tired, and I was aggravated. I couldn't get the thing, the directions in 14 different languages and all kind of things. And she come out, you didn't do this right. I said, hush. <laughs> Don't say anything. If you're going to help me, you can help me. If not, I'll, if I have to tear it up, I'll tear it up. But anyway, sometimes we need to learn uh, some humility. Number four, failure sometimes teaches us you need to readjust the way you're going. You need to, I got a GPS, we, we use our GPS to help get us places. We don't have maps hardly anymore. But if you miss the road you're supposed to go, that is telling you, it'll say recalculating and take you from wherever you went to and try to get you to your destination. Well, that's the way it is in this walk. Sometimes you're going to take some wrong roads and you're going to need to recalculate. Paul wanted to go into Asia Minor. Every time he went, the Holy Spirit said, Nope. I don't know what he was doing, if he was just seeking or if he was trying it and the Holy Spirit was stopping him. He wanted to go into Bithynia and Missy and all these other places, and the Holy Spirit said, No. And he finally went over to Macedonia. Sometimes God allows us to fail because we're going down the path he don't want us to go. He said, I got a better path for you. So failure is just a way of redirecting us. Number five, failure can teach us perseverance. Used to be an old saying, if, you, if at first you fail your deed, try again till you succeed. A lot of times he lets us fail just to see if we're going to persevere. A lot of us throw in the towel way too quick. We give up, we quit, we make excuses, we blame everything on everybody else. John Killinger was a minor league baseball manager. His center fielder was making a mess that day. He had done made two errors, and he was fit to be tied. When he came off the field that time, he said, 
I'm taking you out of the game. I'm going to go play center field. You sit on the bench. He went out there to play center field. Ball went between his legs. Uh, he misjudged the fly ball, and one of them he got lost in the sun and hit him right in the head. He come up here, and he talked that boy was in the dugout kind of laughing. He said, you've got center field so messed up, I, even I can't do anything with it. Uh, <laughs> a lot of times we make excuses and blame everybody for our failures. But sometimes our failures is there to show us you've got to persevere. You've got to keep on going. Here's some excuses people wrote on insurance reports trying to describe why they deserve to get insurance because of an accident or something. They write it out, but they didn't, didn't sound right. One guy put, the guy was all over the place. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. Uh, <laughs> the pedestrian had no idea which way to go, so I ran over him. <laughs> to avoid hitting the bumper of the car in front, I struck the pedestrian. Anyway, we make excuses, we give up, we throw in, we blame you got, we got to take responsibility. God lets us fail so we can learn to, per, to persevere, but you've got to take responsibility and not blame others. Here's another thing he can teach us when we fail. Failure makes us appreciate God's grace. When I was in Tallahassee, uh, the church didn't have much money, but they gave me a car to drive. It was a little Dodge Omni. No air conditioned. Had a headliner that hung on top of my, laid on top of my head. And I was at a job where I had to wear a tie and shirt. And I'd get there in the summer, my old shirt was just, you could see through it. It was so wet. And it was just frustrating. And I'd come home and our lawnmower was tore up or anything. I didn't have any tools. I said, get me a knife and I can get this screw off or whatever. Didn't have any pliers or anything. I was doing all this. And I finally yelled, I ain't got nothing to work with. And that's what God says. This is all I got to work with. Us. What a mess. What a mess. Uh, so failure helps us realize God's putting up with us. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his mercy. We're the only bag of tools he's got, and he'll train us. And he'll give us opportunities to fail, and he's going to keep working with us even in our failures. Look at these scriptures in Proverbs and Job again. For the righteous man may fall seven times and I write and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Job 5:19. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. God said over and over again, multiple times, we can go down, but he's going to pick us back up. Let me say this. There's no way any of us can live a Christian life that would please and meet God's standard to make it to heaven. Y'all you know, do know that, don't you? God's standard is so high, which is perfection, and we're so low. So there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And I'm here to tell you, God knows there's nothing you can do much in this life to live a perfect life either. As a Christian, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall, you're going to fail. Listen to this right here. Jim Corley, Pastor Jim Corley, this was in the Christian Reader. He had a man go into his church named Alex. Alex was a car dealer. And uh, Alex had been coming for about a year, growing in the Lord, looked like. Then he missed a Sunday, missed another, missed another. After four Sundays, he knew he wasn't just on vacation. He said, something's wrong. And he went down to the car dealership where he had bought his car from, Alex. He said, Alex, 
where you been, buddy? We've missed you the last four Sundays. Didn't know something was wrong. He said, Pastor, I can't do it. I feel like a hypocrite. I fail. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't do. And I'm not going to keep coming down there amongst all them people when I know I'm a failure. He said, all right, Alex, I understand. My car that I bought from you is not doing it. It's got some things going on in it. I'm going to bring it down here, and I'm going to put it in the showroom. And, and Alex said, no, don't put it in the showroom. We'll take it back and back, put it in the service department, and we'll figure out what's wrong with it. He said, no, I want it to go in the showroom. He said, no, the showroom's for our new cars we're trying to sell, showing what's out there. We don't want your messed up car in the showroom. He said, exactly. And the church is not a showroom. It's for people that's got problems and fail and mess up. Not to show off to each other how spiritual we are. It's because we need Jesus. We need his help. We need his love. And that's just the way it is. David, Moses, Elijah, Mark, Peter, Samson, Solomon. You can go on and on. God works with failures. He works with us with our failures. Hopefully we can learn from our failures. Lily Baltrip was a good bus driver in Houston, Texas. Houston is one of the biggest cities in America in a big school district there. She was nominated for among about 20 others of being good bus drivers. They were going to give them an award at some kind of banquet. And so they were going to drive the bus, her and those other 20, and they chose her to drive the bus to the award banquet for the best school bus drivers. And they were all having a good time going there, and she turned the corner too sharp, hit the curb, and flipped the bus over. Make a long story short, she did not get a reward as one of the best school bus drivers because our world doesn't operate like that. We fail, we're kicked to the curb a lot of times, pushed out as worthless and no good. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 said, Knowledge, it's going to vanish away one day. Tongues, one day it'll cease. Prophecies will fail. He said, but love never fails. And I'm counting on that. I'll tell you this. As long as there's a cross called Calvary, as long as his blood still flows, as long as his mercy is everlasting, as long as his grace is amazing, God's going to work with us in our failures and shape us and form us into the image of his dear son. He pities us. He knows how weak we are without him. He can put up with us. He's patient and he's forgiving. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. Thank God for that. Would you stand with us? Here's what I want to do. I thought I'd knock it off a little early today. I want to do one thing. Spend some time thanking God for working with failures. Because I can tell you, I failed so many times it's Hard to even imagine. I wouldn't put up with me. Thank God put, he puts up with me. Would you just come and let's spend some time thanking him for his grace, his patience, his mercy? Some of you feel like a failure. You feel like you don't measure up. 
Some of you have been told a lie by the devil that God doesn't have anything left to do with you. That's a lie. God works in our failures and he shapes us so we don't just fail. We learn from that failure and what he's trying to do in our life. Would you just spend some time thanking God that he works with a failure like you and like me? God, we praise you this day. I pray for anyone here today, Lord, that doesn't even know you and realize they can't match up with what you are and who you are. But you take sinners and apply your grace. You take Christians that fail and apply your love and strength and say, now get up, learn from this, learn what I'm trying to do in your life, and let's go on. Let's keep going. It's a journey. We walk by faith. We live by faith. And if we're going to walk by faith, sometimes we're going to stumble and fall. We're not going to hear him. We're going to miss him. We're going to be too late. We're not going to obey. We're not going to respond. We're going to get in the flesh. Thank God he'll give us a chance to keep working with us, molding us, shaping us. God, we praise you, Lord. We're a bunch of people. This is not a showroom here today, Lord. This is your service department. We got problems in our life. We're not run, things aren't running right. I'm not doing right. I've made a mess. I'm ashamed. I don't deserve anything. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. It's still amazing. It's still amazing. Your forgiveness is something we can't even comprehend. Time and time and time. You don't lose patience with us. You don't reach the end of the limit and say, I've given you three chances. I'm not giving you any more. God, we praise you. The amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that song she's playing, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. Now I'm found. Was blind. Now I can see. Help me, Lord. Sometimes I see men as trees walking. I don't see clearly. Sometimes I don't hear your voice clearly. Sometimes I don't obey your word accurately. My heart's there. Spirit's willing. Sometimes flesh is very weak. Please don't give up on us, Lord. We're counting on that. We're counting on you. We're counting on your blood. We're counting on your forgiveness. Don't let anybody listen to the lie of the devil and give up and throw in the towel. We're going to get up, dust ourselves off, let the blood cleanse us, and get up and move again. Running this race with patience. Oh, we bless your name, oh God. Oh, we bless your name, oh God. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Savior. Encourage those who are discouraged here today, Lord. Those who've compared themselves to others and say, I don't measure up, I can't do this. Take away that faulty thinking in their life. Let us get our eyes off the wind and the waves. Put them back on Jesus. Every time we sink, get them back on Jesus. Don't let us get our eyes on the multitude or we'll never see there's a way 
Let us look at you because you got loaves and fish that'll feed a multitude. Help us focus right. Help us live right. Help us walk right. And help us please you, Master. We ask it all in the name of Jesus for his glory and honor. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Come back tonight. We'll keep on going. This is a journey. We're just going to keep on running this race.